The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. The Christian words today flow like honey. They flow over our hearts and comfort us. We love the beauty of the music for Christmas. There's so much that we enjoy in the Christian world. But I'm deeply troubled that something is wrong. Now, it may just be me. But I have a sense that God is very, very distant from America. That his covering hand has been withdrawn from us that his protection has been removed. And of course, I can say it's because our government has made national decisions that are utterly destructive to the way of Christ. The Supreme Court making its decision to change the definition of marriage. It's so astonishing. It's It's beyond the pale of my understanding how they can have such incredible arrogance because they did not invent marriage. They received it as a gift. The marriage and the family are the very foundation of a nation. If the marriage is destroyed between a man and a woman, the nation will be destroyed. Marriage belongs to God. It's not between Steve and, and Larry. It's between a man and a woman. And this utter arrogance to come before God and the Supreme Court of the United States makes such a wicked decision. An abortion. I see the babies being killed. I see everyone rallying to Planned Parenthood. Oh, they provide women's services. Really? They're eugenists. It's an organization that murders babies and sells their parts. Now, I know this is not popular to speak about today. In fact, it's considered dangerous to speak about. But if there are no men or women who will stand up and speak for the innocent babies in their mother's wombs, who will speak for them? They can't speak for themselves. They're the most defenseless among us. Today there's a great deal more love for dogs and cats, horses, pets, great deal more love and compassion and concern for them than for a baby in its mother's womb. That's utterly wicked, evil, abomination before God. I look at the way socialism, communism, Marxism, is being ushered into our nation under beautiful words but lying words. I see our federal government completely casting aside what they consider an old worn-out document called the Constitution or the Bill of Rights. These two instruments put into place 
the most powerful and wonderful principles of God that has given America a place of standing that no nation in the history of the world has ever had. And yet all of that is being cast away as evil. So today our president considers that which is good and righteous to be evil. He considers that which is sweet to be sour. He castigates at every possibility. And then this foolishness of global warming, it's a fraud. Yes, there is climate change. There has always been climate change. But it is not man-made. I look at the insanity, and I could talk much about it, Pardon me, but there is another issue on my heart that is much, much greater. And that is the wretched condition of the church. Now, I feel out of place coming and speaking about this because the words of the modern pastors and the words of the modern broadcasts on television and and radio that are Christian are smooth-flowing and comforting, and they put you to sleep, frankly. And I don't want to be a discordant note that comes blasting with a with a message of judgment for sin. But I must. It has been laid upon me. It is a fire in my belly that there must be a change. We are, we are dying. We are dying. The comforting theology that we have been taught is not that which is reflected in the scriptures. It is picking and choosing the nice, pleasant parts and making them the whole without any word of rebuke for sin or judgment, without any digging out and searching of the heart for pride and arrogance and bitterness and anger, fornication, lying, cheating, stealing, judging another. Now, we don't want to talk about those things because that's not popular in our culture. Instead, in our culture, it's be tolerant, love everybody, everything goes, it's okay. No, it's not okay. Abortion is not okay. It is sin against Almighty God and will bring the judgment fire of God upon our nation. That's simple. Homosexuality will bring and is the judgment of God upon our nation. It will destroy this nation as it has led to the destruction of many other nations in the past. The lying, the cheating, the stealing of the central banks, the Ponzi scheme of Social Security. Everywhere I turn, there is absolute dishonesty. And then I see the Christian people, fat and dumb, being led to the slaughter. As our freedoms are stripped away, as Christians become an object of scorn, both in our media and in the public square. I come to you today unashamedly saying, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. He is the one way to the, to the presence of God. He is the one way to eternity, 
to heaven. There is no other one. It is Jesus alone by which we must be saved. And of course, as I shared yesterday, what does it mean to be saved? What are we to be saved from? We're to be saved from our sin. We're to be washed and changed and transformed into the likeness of Jesus now so that Christ dwells in us. That's the hope of glory, that Christ dwells now within us. And it's reflected in our behavior. And all of us have it. One point or another, and perhaps many times, said, Jesus loves me. It's okay if I sin. Because I'm a, I'm a child of heaven. I can't be thrown out of the family. I'm saved. I'm on my way. This This word from Jesus found in Matthew, the 21st chapter. Matthew 21. I'll begin reading with verse 31. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did and even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So Jesus is saying that John came to show us the way of righteousness. And you remember in the message to the church at Laodicea, he said we were to buy Garments, white garments, to cover our nakedness. And Revelation then says that these garments are the works of righteousness. Can I just say this in a way that I hope I can be heard and understood? The entire gospel... The entire gospel, everything about the scriptures is about righteousness. It's about rescuing from wickedness and making that person righteous. In real righteousness, imparted righteousness, as a free gift. Now, under the law, righteousness did not come, but rather condemnation. But through Jesus Christ, righteousness flowed to his people. And so he's, in every sense, looking at the end result he died for our salvation, including the pardoning of our sin and the making of us righteous. And John is saying, John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. In other words, you did not believe that John the Baptist was speaking to you about a change in your life that would result 
in you being made righteous. You didn't want to change your behavior. You didn't want to adjust your lifestyle. You didn't want to change your time and your schedule. You were comfortable in what you were doing. You were happy in what you were doing. You didn't want the trouble. But, he says, the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Now, in that culture, the tax collectors were collecting taxes for Rome, which was a an occupying army. And the tax collectors were unscrupulous. They would charge a man what they wanted to charge him for tax. They would give the due amount to Rome, and they would keep the rest. And if too loud a cry was not brought up to the authorities, they got away with it. In other words, they were shysters and they were bitterly hated by the children of Israel. They were scorned by the children of Israel. And the prostitutes. Prostitutes, according to their scripture, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, they were to be stoned to death. So the tax collectors and the prostitutes both knowing they were walking in absolute lie and uncleanness, they heard John's message, and they repented, meaning they aligned themselves once more with moral reality. They changed their behavior. They stopped the prostitution. Matthew, when called by Jesus, left his tax table and became a follower of Jesus, a disciple. There was a radical change in their life. Now, if we go to chapter 3 of the book of Matthew, this is where Jesus begins to help us understand who John the Baptist was, what he did, what he preached. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea. And what was his message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Well, the kingdom of heaven is not a geographic location, it's authority. It's coming under the authority of God. He's saying, repent, for the authority of God is coming upon this nation. Now, the authority of God can can be administered both to change a man or to judge a man. Many repented and were changed, but many others did not repent, and instead the judgment of God fell upon them when Titus came and burned Jerusalem and killed many hundreds of thousands of Jewish people because they would not accept the Messiah. And the judgment of God came upon them. You see, when the kingdom of God comes, it cuts both ways. The kingdom of God, if we come under the authority, and you remember the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. When you pray that prayer, you are praying that God's royal authority would be exercised over your life and that he would bring to pass his will in your life. Well, his will is to have you made into the image of Jesus Christ. If you resist that kingdom authority, it will judge you. 
and finally destroy you. Probably the most dangerous prayer you can pray is the Our Father. Because you are asking for the kingdom of heaven's authority to rule over you. And that means either deliverance from sin or judgment at the judgment bar of God. Now, Jesus came. We find this in Matthew, the fourth chapter, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He's preaching the same message. He's saying, Prepare your hearts, because the divine authority of God is about to become the administrative force over this entire nation of Israel. And you need to decide what you're going to do with that divine authority of God. He now says, this is he who spoke, who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. In other words, prepare for the way of the divine authority that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prepare the way. Now John was dressed in costume, I could say. It was not the normal garment that people would expect to see. It was not of flowing robes. It was of camel's hair, rough and coarse. He had a leather belt around his waist, and he looked like an Old Testament prophet. They hadn't seen an Old Testament prophet in hundreds of years. Malachi is the last one we hear from, and that was 400 years before, and we don't know that he was dressed like an Old Testament prophet. Now the word got out and people came. They came from Jerusalem and all of Judea, the whole region of the Jordan. And as they listened to him preach, their hearts were pierced. And they began to confess their sins and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when John the Baptist saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming, he said to them, You brood of snakes, you vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? See, when you when you have the coming of the kingdom of God, you have either repentance or wrath. You have a change in behavior and lifestyle. You have a radical change, turning away from the prostitution, the financial skullduggery. You have a turning away from bitterness and anger. You have a turning aside. You have a a heart that is now utterly given over to the kingdom of heaven for the divine authority to rule over your life. You're no longer in charge of your life. You surrender that power to the ruling kingdom of the day. Except this is the ruling kingdom for eternity. He says something very interesting to them. In verse 8 he says, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, produce righteousness. The word righteousness, dikasuni in the Greek, just means to be rendered innocent, to be made innocent, to be made righteous. We translate it justification. And unfortunately, the modern preachers have taught us that that means just pardon for our sin. 
But that's not the meaning of justification. Even the old English word from which it comes means to be made righteous. And dikasune means to be rendered innocent. That's the literal meaning of dikasune, to be rendered innocent. To be put in the fire, to be boiled in the pot, to have the, the fat taken out, the sin. Fat was a symbol of sin, to have it taken out. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce righteousness. And do you not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father? I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. Well, it's a, it's a false thing to say, Well, I'm a Presbyterian. My mom and dad were Presbyterians, my grandma and grandpa. We've always been Presbyterians, Pastor. We believe Calvinism. Well, what good will that do you as the royal authority of God begins to exercise itself over your life and bring to your life judgment because of your wickedness and your sin? I'm very troubled because... I recognize that we're Americans and we're not accustomed to being confronted with our sin. We've already said we're exceptional and, and God loves us unconditionally and we're on our way to heaven even though we're acting like the devil. It's not going to work. Jesus is saying, through John the Baptist, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, repent. Turn aside from your violations of God's law. Turn aside. The powerful blood of Jesus now has washed us and made us clean. And we have the power to say no to sin. But it means dying. Yesterday on the broadcast, one dear sister called and talked about the expectations of her mother that she was responding to with anger because she wasn't getting what she wanted. What I didn't have an opportunity to say on the air yesterday, I want to say today. There's only one way you can deal with expectations, and that is to die to them. And that is a deeper level of crucifixion. We have to die out to it. You can't make peace with expectations. You simply have to die out to them. If I expect you to act a certain way, I can be as mad as I want. I can criticize you, I can condemn you, I can I can be as angry as I want to be, but it doesn't work. I'm only piercing my own heart and my own soul. It must be a dying out a complete dying out to the world, the flesh, and the devil. I meet people who have great theological understanding. And they want to argue. And they want to fuss. And they want to separate. I don't worship theology. I worship Jesus Christ. Now, doctrine is important because doctrine is the road to Jesus Christ. Doctrine is the gathered together understanding of Scripture about Jesus. There's only one way we have theology, and that is by the revelation of God through his word. 
Theology is not the study of God. Theology is receiving the revelation of God through His Holy Word. And then secondly, theology is putting into practice what we have just learned, adjusting the sails, changing our behavior by the power of the blood of Jesus. And then theology is living clean and righteous before God. We're called to repent. To allow the authority of God's kingdom to be exercised over us. Now he says, the axe is already at the root of the tree. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Every life that does not produce real righteousness will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. Please let me try to say it again. I'm not very articulate today. Just been crying out to the Lord. Everything in the Scripture, everything in the Gospel, is about righteousness. It's the first part and it's the last part. It's what it's all about. It's about righteousness. And is that righteousness to come into our lives by the law? No, we've proven through the years righteousness does not come by the law. But righteousness does come by way of the cross, by the way of Jesus Christ. It's real righteousness. It's not make-believe righteousness. It's not a shell game. It's real righteousness. It's not imputed righteousness. It is imparted righteousness. It's a free gift given to us. There are those who want to say, Pastor, do you believe in justification by faith alone? Absolutely I do. Forgiveness of sins and walking in holiness and righteousness only come by faith in Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean it's not necessary and real that we walk righteous before God. He says, I baptize you with the water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not, I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. Why have we not experienced in today's church the baptism of the Holy Spirit with fire? Well, because there are two conditions that must be met before that. We must go into the desert. You must be gold tried in the fire. You must be purified. You must be made holy. And then secondly, you have to wear the white garments. You have to wear the white robes of righteous actions. If we are doing those two things, if our faith has been tested and tried and we now have absolute confidence in God and we have cut off from our life every nurturance except that which flows from the heavenly tree of life, And we have repented of our sins. And we're walking clean before God. Then we must have the ISAV. We must have the Holy Spirit. He says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You know, please, 
It's so simple, yet it's so hard for us as Americans to grasp. Life does not belong to us. We don't have the right to do whatever we want to do when we wake up in the morning. The most important part of life is seeking after Jesus Christ with all of our heart, mind, and soul. What will you gain if you gain the whole world, but you forfeit your soul? What will you gain? Everything will be a loss to you. Oh, but pastor, I have to go to work. No, please understand. Your work must flow from the heart of God. In that place, you must represent Jesus. If you go to work for money, you have missed the kingdom of heaven. We don't go to work for money. We go there because that's the assigned place that Jesus would send us to be a witness and a testimony that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He sends us there to love people, to minister to their needs, to be humble servants. It's not a place of pride and arrogance. It's not self-sufficiency. Now he goes on. He says, his winnowing fork is in his hand. That's his separating fork to separate the wheat and the chaff. And he will clear his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn. This is allegorical. It means he will bring the people who have repented who have produced real righteousness, who are, according to Revelation, the messages to the seven churches, these are the overcomers. And if they have overcome by the blood of Jesus, and they are walking clean, they are walking righteous before God, then the vengeance of God will not fall on that person We serve a God who is holy, who is high and lifted up. We serve a God who is majestic and all-powerful and almighty. And this God either brings deliverance and righteousness, or he brings judgment and destruction on our life and on a nation and finally on the world. He refers to unquenchable fire, allegorically speaking, the fire of hell. Now if you look at Matthew, the 10th chapter, verse 34, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Jesus is not some humanistic symbol of goodwill among men. Just the contrary. He said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So Jesus did not come to bring peace between the wicked and the righteous. He came, in fact, to separate the wicked from the righteous. 
And he came into your life to separate you from your unrighteousness, from your wickedness. He came to make you pure and clean and holy. This is the overcoming we're called to. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to open the phone lines. You're welcome to call. I'd be happy to talk with you. The telephone number is 877-534-0780. You're listening to Ray Greenlee. I'm the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. And this is Pilgrim's Progress. In Matthew, the 11th chapter, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me. Always Jesus says, Come. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. The invitation is there today for you to come to Jesus. What does it mean to come to Jesus? It means to turn your back on your wicked ways. It means to turn your back on fighting and bitterness. It means to turn your back and no longer participate in the things of this world. It means to cut off every source of nurturance in your life that does not flow from the heart of Jesus. Now he says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is the place where we cease our own labor. One brother and I were talking earlier today, and he was feeling very stuck. He recognized how far short he was of the glory of God. And I had to come into agreement with him and say, I understand. If I spend too much time looking at me, I'll become extremely discouraged. This question of, of self needs to be just totally put aside. I'm not to look to myself. I'm to look to Jesus. He's the one who, who calls me. He's the one who brings me into his presence. He's the one that opens the way for me. He's the one I trust. Now we have a quick call. Uh, let's take that call. Hi, welcome. What would you like to share? Yes, hi, Pastor Ray. I wanted to ask the question. When yes. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he said, they said, he said, say, our Father. But if I'm talking to Jesus, you know, myself, is it all right to say, my Heavenly Father, instead of our Father, you know, just say it? Yes. Okay, that's what I always do. Because, you know, I'm, it's, it's like just me and, and God, I'm saying, my Father who art in heaven, give, give me this day. I thank you for giving me this day, my daily bread and all that. I don't say like our because it's between me and him at this particular time. Well, but let's open that up a little bit. It says our Father in heaven because you belong to a family. Okay. And when you say our, you're recognizing that it's not just between you and Jesus mm -hmm. or you and the Father. You're part of a body called the church, and Christ is the head of that church. Mm -hmm. So when you come to pray, you're going to have some personal requests, but you're also part of the body. So I have to say, give, give us to stay instead of give me to stay my daily bread. Well, you know what? I do it both ways. Okay. <laughs> All right. I, I do too. I do too. I do it both ways. Let me, can I want to ask another question, Pastor? Ray? Sure. I was told, I, I minister God's Word, right? And, mm -hmm. and when I minister God's Word, I'll include my testimony about where, how God has delivered me from drugs and alcohol, delivered me from cigarettes and the whole nine yards. And I was told that that could harm the weaker Christian. But my response to that was, 
whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And I said, also, we have overcome him who Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Yes. And I was told, well, Paul said forgetting about those things that are behind us. But Paul was just given his credentials about what he had had done to other Christians, and he was saying he's not going to live with guilt, in other words, and all those things. But I was told that it could harm a weaker Christian, and it was he. And the person went to the scripture where it says, uh, "Don't eat meat if it would wound your your weaker brother's conscience." But can you give me a a, a specific scripture that I could share with this person? No. Because this is not a concern of Scripture. Uh It is, however, a concern of the Holy Spirit. Uh There are some people that need to hear from whence you have come, so they'll know they can also come from their wickedness to righteousness in Jesus. There are other times when if you share some of that detail, it will tend to glorify you, and you don't want any of the glory. So the Holy Spirit has to tell you when to share and what to share and what not to share. Mm-hmm. And there's not a law about it. And anyone who comes and wants to correct you, receive him as a brother or a sister and then continue doing what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. And that's exactly how I've been doing it. I, it's not every time, but as the Spirit of God leads me, and I said to that this person, who was the pastor that told me this? I, I said to him, well, being that we are a, sm- a small church, I don't always do it, but what if I was in a large church and someone has come because they're struggling with drugs or alcohol or whatever it is that I've gone through, and the Spirit of God leads me to share with that? That person will, will be inspired to say, if, if he's done this for her, he can do the same thing for me, and come forth and Cry out, what must I, I yield, I yield, what must I do to be saved? Yes, I agree with you, but there is another point that you have to also consider in your spirit. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know you, so I can't say this is about you, but some people always bring out their stuffed, dead testimony with no current testimony. Mm-hmm. And I encourage people to have something about this week, what did Jesus say to you, and what victories did he give to you this week? Because every day he brings victories into our hearts yes. and into our lives. Oh, 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 they know that. You know, I share okay. all those things. I, sh- I don't try to hold back anything that God is doing in my life. And, you know, Good. people will bless me or, you know, how I went to have an, a Doppler, you know, the arteries checked in my neck and my legs and all that. And a little 24-year-old girl, she asked me how long had I been since I quit smoking. I told her, I said, I didn't quit. God delivered me. And yes. she just got so in- inspired, and-, and she said she had been seeking God. But I asked her, had she accepted Jesus Christ into her into her life and into her heart? And she says, well, I read my Bible. You know, she just went on. And I just shared God's plan of salvation with her and whatnot. So, I mean, it's as the Spirit lead me, because it's not I, but it's, the Christ who lives in me, and that's who I try to glorify when I share things with other people. That It's not I, but, you know, Christ did these things for me. Well, you are a part of a body, so you need to respect your pastor. Yes, I will. But you also need to bear witness as the Holy Spirit quickens it in your heart, mm-hmm. <clears throat> because he's the one who's going to save that person. Mm-hmm. And if he can use the humble words you speak to save a soul, mm-hmm. then praise God. Amen. Pastor Ray, thank you. I've been trying to get through for a while, and I had two or three numbers in my phone for you, but I didn't have this number, so I guess this was the day that I was at, uh, I was meant to get through to ask you these questions. Good. I'm glad to talk to you. God bless Stay you. in touch. God thank bless you. you. Bye-bye. We have five minutes left. We have time for one more quick call, 877 877- Five three four zero seven eight zero. And let me just, as we're coming to the end of this broadcast, <clears throat> invite you uh, to come to the National Prayer Chapel if you're seeking Jesus with all your heart and you need to repent. 
and you need to get right with Jesus. You're welcome to come to the All Saints Anglican Church. We rent that facility every Sunday in Woodbridge, Virginia, and it's located at 14851 Gideon Drive. And we have a prayer service on Tuesday evening beginning at 6.30. And then we also have our main worship service on Sunday. And we meet for that at 12 noon and begin corporate prayer until 12.30. So you're welcome to come. Uh, Drive around to the backside of the National or the All Saints Anglican Church and we're come in through the lower lobby. It's ground level, double glass doors, and you'll find the National Prayer Chapel Worship Center immediately on your left. My heart today is just, I'm looking to Jesus. I'm looking to Jesus. I see the powerlessness of our words to touch the wickedness of our culture. I know we desperately need to enter into the rest of Jesus Christ. I know there must be a dramatic change in those who call themselves Christians, that they would stop fussing and fighting with each other, that they would forget about the incidentals and they would focus on Jesus. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why is the yoke easy? And why is the burden light? Because Jesus carries it for us. Jesus is everything for us. He is our food, our water. He is the rock. He is everything. Do you need to repent today? Quickly repent. Lord Jesus, I just lift you up today. I worship your holy name. You are the Son of God. You died and you were raised on the third day that we could enter into life with you. Jesus, I put my faith and my trust and my confidence in you and you alone. And I worship you, Jesus. And I praise and honor your name. I love you, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Thank you for joining me today. God bless you, my brother, my sister. Seek Jesus with all your heart, and he will be found by you. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. You blameless before the presence of his glory. Will.